Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. So I get to, you know, finish us off, be the grand finale of our playlist series. Uh, What a great series. Have y'all enjoyed this? Oh man, it's been so fun. And you know what? I would challenge you, don't miss a part of our series. A part of our, the reason why we do series is it helps us walk through the word together. And it is a part of what we're doing here in discipleship. So we disciple people in serve teams. We disciple people in life groups. But we also disciple people as we walk through the word together in series. And so don't miss an opportunity to receive the word and go back on our podcast, get our app, go to our website and make sure you're catching up with what God is speaking through the house. So an anthem, I want to talk about an anthem. Uh, I don't know, I think all of us can relate that we've been in a sports game or we've watched the Olympics and we've seen people stand for their national anthem. And so nations all over the world have anthems. So it's not just special to the U.S., although many nations have special specific songs that is their anthem. And so one of the things that an anthem will do is it is supposed to be a unifier of the people. It is supposed to declare something. It is supposed to remind people of something. And it's supposed to say, hey, I am, I belong to this country. Then that means their leadership is in charge of me. That means I'm governed by their process of government. And then this is a part of who I am. So when we hear the Star Spangled Banner, we hear a song about a flag. It represents and points to a story that was a part of our story of victory and freedom. And so it tells us when we sing and we stand up for that, it is a declaration that's saying, hey, I'm an American. That's where I belong to. That's who I belong to. I am under the government of America. That's how I'm governed. And then a little bit of who I am. When there is some things in that song specifically that says, I'm free, I'm brave, I'm victorious. So this is an outline for anthems for countries. It's telling you what country you're from, who's in charge of you, and a little bit about who you are because you're from that country. So as Christians, we have an anthem too. And so I want to go dig into 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So this scripture tells us that we are a holy nation. As Christians, we also have an anthem that our life lives out. Before Christ, our anthem was one of defeat. We were dead in our sin. We were a slave to our flesh. We were bound by chains of our past. We were lost, looking for belonging, looking for identity, needing mercy. And he chose us. And he made us a holy nation. 
And why is this important? Because he chose us and made us a holy nation. It tells us that we belong. We belong to him. It says before we met him, we didn't belong to anybody. We were just searching. But yet he chose us. We belong. And not only that, he gives us our identity. We are no longer what we used to identify as. We're no longer what we used to be labeled as. We're no longer. Okay, so our identity is in him. And it also speaks to who's in charge of us. It speaks to the government that is overseeing me. So that if I'm a part of a holy nation, who is my king? He's the Lord, the king of kings. And so that means that my life no longer is lived whatever way I want to live it, however I think I should do this or that. No, now I am submitted to a king of kings, and now I am seeking him in every part of my life, and I'm running my life under his authority. So that's a completely different kind of authority than you and I have ever experienced in this world because we live in a country that doesn't have a king. Okay, we have lots of processes of government, and I'm grateful for it, but we've lost a little bit of the meaning of what it is to live under a king, under a lord. That means in America, we compartmentalize our life. The government tells us this, my boss tells me this, in my home, I can tell everybody this. And so in these different areas of my life, there's different bosses, there's different leadership. But see, when we come into Christ and he he says, you're a holy nation, I've chosen you, we actually don't have any more compartments. We actually are saying, you get to tell me what to do in every compartment. Okay, well, to someone who is unfamiliar with the word of God in the entire story, that almost is like, "Mm, I don't want someone to tell me what to do in every area of my life. I actually want to go in the career path that I just want to go in. I just want to move wherever I want to move. I want to parent my kids however I want to parent my kids. I want to treat my spouse however I want to treat my spouse. But yet when we submit our life to Christ, we realize that everything that we did the way we wanted it was singing an anthem. But that anthem was one of defeat. But when we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and he is our King of Kings, we are now singing an anthem of victory. And so I want to talk about this. I want to Jump into this. Okay, but first, I have a little bit of a fun experiment, a little testing out the waters. Um, I am really not a music buff. I enjoy music, but like my husband is on a whole other level. And my daughter, one of my daughters, I'm like, there's nobody that can remember as much as she remembers. Like she can remember all the lyrics and all the, all, like the singers. And I'm like, she's amazing at all the things that are in her head. Then I'm like, I can listen to a song a million times and forget 50% of the lyrics. Uh, I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds like it should go there. You know, I'm like totally... I'm just not that person who remembers all the lyrics. But just like any of us, do you have any songs that start, like the music starts, the melody starts, and then all of a sudden the words don't even have to begin? You can finish the lyrics. 
because you've heard it sing, sung so many times. It's so catchy. Maybe it's a trending song that you're like, I don't even know how I know this. I've listened to it so much in the grocery store. I can sing this song. But here's the deal. That is exactly the example I want to use today. And so if you're ready... The sound men have got two songs ready for us to sing. So this is for participation uh, opportunity. And uh, Mitch is going to come help us because I'm not a singer. <laughs> and so because I just admitted to you my faults and my memory, I have my cheat sheet here. But Mitch is so great, he doesn't need one. And so let's see how we can do. And I think these two songs I've... So much, I'm pretty sure I can get. Okay, so we're, I'm a little nervous even going, start the music, because I'm like, oh, what are the words? But okay, I've got it. So we're going to start. We're going, Mitch is going to help us a little bit. Sure. Okay, so here's the deal. One of our values is bring the fun. Okay, so we're going to bring the fun today. We're going to play a little bit of this music and see if you can finish the lyrics. Go ahead, sound. <laughs> Okay, there it is. All right, you gotta help me, you ready? Here we go. Twice. Here we go. One, two, one, two, ready, and just a small town girl. Come on. Living in a lonely world. He took the midnight train going anywhere. Good job. All right, so I think that y'all are ready for the second one. So let's hit that one. Listen, baby. Ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low, ain't no river wide enough, baby. If you need me, call me, no matter where you are, no matter how far, baby, ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, and ain't no river wide enough. To keep, keep me, me from getting, getting to you, babe. All right. Okay, so Mitch did amazing, but I think y'all are the real winners. So y'all give yourself a hand. And so obviously we like to have fun, but I just want to really think about this example because we have an enemy. And you know what he does? He starts a melody in our heads. And what happens is he doesn't even have to finish the lyrics. We'll finish it for him. Because the only thing we've ever known before Christ was an anthem of defeat. And so all of a sudden, that's what we know. That's what's easy. That's what's comfortable. And that's, it comes to me so easy. I don't even know how I know the words. And it's like we're singing this anthem of defeat because the enemy knows what's going to trip us up. He knows our backstory. He knows we're redeemed, but he's hoping we forget. He's hoping we go along with his trick plan and that we would continue to sing the lyrics that are no longer the anthem that we have to sing anymore. We had to sing the anthem of defeat before. 
Now we get to sing the anthem of victory because of who our king is. So you know what? I think that one of the things that I want to point out is the fact that this anthem identifies who we belong to. So what's the enemy coming after? Who's your Lord? Who's your king? Who's your boss? He's going to try to trick you to do it your own way. He's trying to get you to make your own decision, to figure it out on your own. Don't ask the Lord. No need for prayer. But yet the Lord is saying, these are the two options, anthem of victory, anthem of defeat. Don't choose to finish the lyrics of that the enemy tries to start in your life any longer. You know what? I think that it's important to say if the anthem of victory tells us who we belong to, that was what, we didn't have anything to belong to before. Anything that looked tempting to you that you're like, well, I felt more comfortable because nobody asked me to change. Well, guess what? That was still an anthem of defeat even if you didn't realize it. Because when we come into an anthem of victory, there is some uncomfortability. There is a learning curve. There is a denying of self. The Bible actually says that Paul said that he dies daily so that who can live? Christ can live in us. The real victor of all of the battles that we have put a substitute towards. What we do is we try to fight battles like our employee is the problem. Like our spouse is the problem. Like our pastor's the problem. And all of these are anthems of defeat saying, blame someone else. Make an excuse. Don't remember who's the Lord of your life, whom's still on the throne. So we'll talk about the throne here in a minute, but I want to delve into Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. And Devin's actually going to come up and be our example for this example in this scripture But it says that now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Futility means pointless. Okay, before we knew Christ, we had pointless thinking. Have you ever looked at the world and thought, it feels and seems and looks pointless because the world doesn't have a point. The world is living for themselves. There's nothing beyond that. It's pointless, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth, as in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Everybody say put on the new self. Okay, so Devin's going to help me out. And this is a simple example that I learned a long time ago that just helps us put it into perspective. So here's, Devin got a great jacket. That's why I got chosen for this example. And um, so this jacket, very comfy, fits him well. He bought it for himself. This is a jacket that just, you know, it declares Devin Cheatwood, right? And so this represents old self. So he's going to take this off. And he's just going to throw it behind him because that's his old self. And then he's going to put on this new jacket that's representing his new self. And so he is intentionally taking off something and putting something else on. 
And so oftentimes we read the word defeated and we read the word as like, I can't do that. I can't put on my, take off my old self and put on my new self. It's too hard. My old self is just like so great. It was fitted for me. I bought it for my body. Like I've actually worn it so long. It's my comfy cat jacket. And so then this new jacket feels so uncomfortable and feels a little different and it feels a little but yet we're missing the point that one is singing an anthem of defeat and one is singing the anthem of victory and it takes intentionality it doesn't take talent to be able to take the old jacket off and put the new jacket on it doesn't take talent to take the old self off and the new self on it is an intentional choice an act of our will And so some things God will supernaturally do for you. Sometimes he will touch you and heal you. Sometimes he will touch you and it'll all be changed and different. And some things we have to intentionally take, not our talent, but the ability we have been given to recognize the melody that the enemy's trying to start in our lives, to remind him whose we are, we belong to the Lord, who we are, what God says about us, And we're going to take off the old and put on the new. So I don't know about you, but in my house, this is what I do all day long. Whose is this? And this is always the uh, unified response, not mine. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Because these are the only people that live here. And so I don't know why we're not claiming this or taking responsibility for this or putting it back. But, you know. Therefore, if I go and investigate, it's going to take more of my energy. So I'm just going to figure it out and take it to somebody's room. But what I would say about the old self jacket, if someone, the enemy, says, whose is this? You can say, that's not mine anymore. I'm leaving that behind and I don't ever have to pick it up again. I don't ever have to pick it up again. I don't ever have to wear it again. It is no longer mine. And so thank you, Devin. Great job. <laughs> the verse we just read tells us there's a new self created in the, in the likeness of God. It means that the anthem of victory can be sung from our life, and we are not a slave to the anthem of defeat. God has a process for living this life. And obviously, we if you've been in church for any amount of time, the first step to this process is salvation, is making him the Lord and the king of your life. Saying, I surrender my way, I will go your way, you are the Lord. But in Ephesians, Paul is actually telling the Ephesians saying, "Hey, didn't you hear the truth of Christ?" So these were Christians he was talking about and talking to. He was like, "Hey, You have your old self on. Didn't you know that you could put your new self on? Like, you don't have to live in that jacket anymore. There's a new self. You don't have to sing that anthem. There's a new anthem. He was helping them understand that salvation is something that we see outside of that one experience. And so here we have, obviously, we want people to get saved. And I hope that if you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, that today would be the opportunity that you would have to be able to do that. The next step we see in the Bible about our transformation process is baptism in water. And so we have a great opportunity in October to do water baptism. We would love for you to go to the Connect Room. And I know there's somebody in this room 
that heard the announcement that Chad made about baptism, and you just had something jump inside of you. I'm just telling you right now that was not tacos from last night. That is the Lord. He's stirring you to make this decision of faith, this public proclamation of what he, God has done in the inside of you. And so whether you've been saved for a short amount of time or a long period of time, and you have not been water baptized, I want to invite you to this moment. And you may be saying, why do I need to do that? That just seems silly. What does water do for my spiritual life? Well, guess what? You are right. There is no magic in the water. It is a physical representation of a spiritual work done in you. And God, all throughout the word of God, has used physical expectations, asked us to do something physical, to be able to portray something happening spiritual. And I believe that God blesses it. So last week we took communion. Is there power in that grape juice? Is there power in that little cracker? No. But there is power in obeying the word of God and remembering that Jesus died on the cross and not only did, was his flesh broken and torn, but his, his blood was shed. And there is a lot of spiritual significance in remembering that moment and doing something physical with what's happening spiritual. That's what we're doing here on the worship stage. We're not putting on a concert every week. We're wanting to usher you into the presence of the Lord. You carry the presence of the Lord if you know Christ. That is a, you do. I'm not, you're, God is always with you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. We don't want to take that for granted. But just like in my prayer, I talked about the fact that when two or three are gathered, he's in the midst of them. That's the New Testament. So that means there is a manifest presence that happens when we come together as believers and we worship the Lord. And just like in water baptism, it's a physical representation of a spiritual work. We're worshiping, we're lifting our hands, we're clapping, we're even dancing. But it's a physical representation that is all biblical. The thing that I would encourage you, if you're wrestling with the physical expressions of worship, because we all came from a different background, I would challenge you that the word does talk about order in the church. That doesn't mean sit there with a stale face and don't move. Order means that I am not doing something to bring attention to myself. I am doing something within order, within the word of God, and I'm actually obeying scripture. So when I lift my hands and I clap and I dance and I express myself and I sing out loud, there is somebody that's gonna be, what are they doing? Why? because it's a physical representation of something spiritual happening inside of you, just like someone would be like, why are you eating that cracker and that grape juice? Why are you dunking yourself in water? It's an act of obedience, and if the word of God says that this is what he wants us to do, and there is spiritual breakthrough in these moments, then we obey because he's the king of kings, and we don't live in our own country anymore. We are a holy nation submitted to his authority. Okay, so it's important for us to testify to make our faith public. The anthem of our victory declares whose we are and who we are. I want to go to Isaiah 6, uh, 6 verse 1. 
And this is an incredible, there's an incredible backstory to this and I can't go into it completely. But this verse begins telling us the story of a prophet, Isaiah, who had a vision. And so here it is. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And so just so you'll understand, this is significant because King Uzziah was a good king. He had ruled for years, and they were blessed by his leadership. He actually defeated two of their biggest enemies, the Philistines and the Arabians, and they, he also made their army strong. He also produced and like encouraged and got inventions happening in farming. And so they were eating well and they were thriving and they were living in prosperity and they had good leadership. And here this whole country is experiencing this surprising loss because they weren't expecting for King Uzziah to die. It was a surprise. And so just like we just saw what, you know, this last week or so, everybody mourning the Queen of England and there was, everybody had a different relationship with that monarch, but there was definitely emotion happening because of her loss and what that meant for their country and the world. So in today's day and age, it matters who is our leader. Absolutely, 100%. But in their day and age, it was more than gas prices and high interest rates that changed when leadership changed. Now King Uzziah dying made them a sitting duck. Other countries could say, you were free under good leadership. We're going to go fight you, take you over, and make you a slave. We're going to take all your food, and you're going to starve, and we're going to eat. Like, this could have changed their entire life, this leadership change. So no doubt Isaiah is probably disappointed. He loves God's people and he's a little discouraged that leadership has changed. What, why did King Uzziah have to die? And so when it says in the year that King Uzziah died, it's very significant because he was looking at what was really facing them. What could have, what could happen and God gave him a vision and said, I know this is what you see. This looks hard. This looks big. This looks difficult. But I want you to see something that I see. I want you to take you out of the situation and show you something bigger and greater and eternal. And so he showed him a vision of the king of kings in the temple on his throne. And he, it, does, it didn't matter it didn't mean that God didn't care that King Uzziah died. It didn't mean that God said, suck it up, buttercup. It didn't mean that God didn't care about the disappointment they were facing and the real concerns of their future that they really had no answers for. It meant that he was saying, you see this earthly throne unsettled, but my heavenly throne is settled. <laughs> I am still there, and I am still who I say I am. And you are my nation, and I am your king. And you don't have to take on the concerns and the cares of the world when you know that I'm still in the throne. 
You know, every time heaven is mentioned in the word of God, and any time somebody had a vision about heaven, the throne was mentioned. And we don't have a king that sits in a throne. Our president has a house, but he doesn't have a throne. He has a chair behind the desk, but he doesn't have a throne. So we do lose significance if we don't understand what the throne means and why it was important for us to know that in heaven, there is God who sits on it. There is someone that's higher than every other authority and every other problem that you have in your life right now. And so this throne basically is necessary because we have worldviews and these worldviews are not necessarily new to man. It's not American worldviews. These worldviews have been, the melodies of these worldviews have been being sung since the beginning of time. The devil has been trying to trick people into the wrong worldview for ages. And so you have atheism who believes that there is no God. They don't want a throne. They believe that there's no God because they don't want to be held accountable to any higher authority. They, then we have materialism. And materialism means that I only believe what's in the natural. I only believe what I can see. If it doesn't have matter that composes of it, I don't believe it. There is no supernatural. And so here we have this ideology, this worldview, and they don't want a throne because they don't want their science to be rocked. They don't want they, what they can see, feel, touch, and hear to be rocked. They don't want to admit that there's a supernatural realm that they can't see, and they need God's help to be able to overcome. And so then we have this third worldview that we see prevalent in society, and it's humanism. And humanism means they do believe there's a God. They just believe that we're it. Man is it. And so they're okay with a throne as long as man sits in it. And so the throne being mentioned about in heaven, every time heaven's mentioned, and this specific vision about God saying, I'm on the throne, is important because every single worldview that the enemy has been trying to play the melody in this world, in your mind, in your family, maybe in your coworker's head, all of these worldviews, these melodies, they are an anthem of defeat. They look like a real, logical way to think, but they are a lie. They are counterfeit to the real king of kings. And so this is a good thing for us to remember as we go into election season. You know, we have a series called Stay on Mission that we uh, did a couple of, I guess it was probably a little over a year ago, and I would encourage you to grab that and delve into it and dig more into what God says about our involvement in politics, our involvement in voting, our involvement in what God has for us here on this earth, because we do believe that God has given us delegated authority. And so we are submitted to the King of Kings. He has given us delegated authority on this earth. So it does matter if you vote. It does matter who you vote for. It does matter what you think about politics. And so I would challenge you. We think biblically on these matters because a biblical worldview is important 
Because if we don't have a biblical worldview, the enemy is trying to give us his worldview that we just talked about is not true. And so there is never a time when it's okay to make politics an idol. It's never a time when we can make a candidate an idol. But there's never a time that Christians can say, um, that doesn't apply to me. Because if God has placed you here in this earth, in these boundaries, then God has given you stewardship over it. And so who better to run for office than a Christian committed to, to integrity and seeking the Lord and service rather than fame, power, connections? Who better to be involved in voting than someone who prayed and sought God for who, was, who they were supposed to vote for? Who better than to steward over and pray over and be involved in our city council, our school boards, our states, our country, than Christians? Because if we will keep God on the throne, we can do a lot of good things here on this earth. As soon as we begin to idolize or, or take it out of proportion, that's when it gets in error. And there are people in error. But I do believe that we each have to ask, God, what is my part to play? What is my part to play? And does it take a little bit more intentionality on my part to learn more about this? Does it take more intentionality on my part to say yes if you ask me to run? Does it take me some intentionality on my part to question the worldviews that I've been listening to as the melodies that the enemy has tried to put in my head? Because if I'm going to do this, the only way it's going to work is if we join together and we, we are Christocrats. We are biblically worldview voters. We are not partisan voters. The only thing that matters is what the King of Kings says. And so I'm not looking to ask myself what I think about an issue. I'm asking the Lord what he thinks about the issue. And I'm voting accordingly because that's what I'm supposed to do because I'm no longer in the kingdom of this world. I'm no longer a citizen of the old man that I used to put on. I have a new man in the likeness of God and it changes everything about my whole life because there's absolutely no place in my life that he's not on the throne. And so here we have King Uzziah died and he's giving him this vision of the God on the throne. And you think of your life right now. You may have gotten a negative medical diagnosis. Maybe you're wondering how you're going to pay that bill. Maybe you're thinking, I just messed up this business deal royally. And so here we have these disappointments in life that we really do face. And they're real things to mourn, including loss of life. But today I want you to know that the same vision that God gave Isaiah, he's painting for each and every one of us through this verse. And he is saying that I am on the throne and my robe has a train that fills the temple. And so that is foreign language to us. We don't know, we don't see anybody wear king's robes. But in that day and age, the king, the defeated, like there was a defeated king and a victorious king. Why? Because they were at battle against each other. 
So the one thing that you would do if you won the battle and you were the king, they went and cut the train off of the robe of the other king and they went and sewed it onto yours. And so the, how strong the king was determined how long the train was. And so here God is showing Isaiah saying, not only am I on the throne, but my train fills this temple and no other king on this earth has this long of a train. I have done what I said I was going to do. I have beat death, hell, and the grave. I am the final say. The, the end of the book is not in question. I have already won. And so the battle that you're facing that you feel like is too hard to win He is on the throne and his robe fills the temple and you can win because he has given us a pathway to win. If we are submitted to him, we realize what victory looks like is different than what the world says. There can be loss of life on this earth. There can be disappointment, discouragement, illness on this earth. And we can still sing an anthem of victory because he's given us a vision of what really matters outside of our perspective. So he is the authority. He is the king. He governs us. He is who defines us. We need to look at this scripture one more time because I want you to, I want this to be our meditation this week. So we're going to go to 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So this week when you're wondering who you are, and what your purpose is, I want you to go back to this and say, I am a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I belong to the Lord. Why is this important? So that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That sounds like victory to me. And so when the devil tries to get you to follow your own way this week, you can catch that melody before you ever sing the song because you can say, he is my king. It doesn't, it does matter what I feel, but if I follow this feeling, It does matter what I think, but if I follow this opinion, I can know that there is an anthem of defeat that I used to sing, but it's an intentional choice on my behalf to put that, take that old self jacket back up and put it on and act as if it's the right thing for me to wear. It is the wrong thing for you to wear. Take that off, leave it behind, take your new jacket on and say, I am the Lord's. He tells me who I am. He tells me what he thinks about me. And so therefore, I have victory that's beyond what everybody else can see with their eyes. So we have a point of origin in math. And so I'm not a mathematician. I had to take pre-algebra twice in junior high. I definitely would not come to tutor your child. But I do remember this specific thing was a point of origin. And so this is a graph that you have to use to get the answers to math questions when you're in high school math. And it is something that stood out to me because here they give you this problem. It's like letters 
and numbers, and you're supposed to come up with a letter and number combination, and it makes absolutely no sense. And if you are somebody that uses that in your daily life, kudos to you, but I have never ever had to use algebra or even really geometry in my daily life. So, but the point of origin is basically the place where you start to work the problem. If you don't start at the right place, you'll get the wrong answer every time. And so I see a lot of people in our society, but not only in our society, as Christians, getting the wrong answer every time because they haven't settled their point of origin. They're not looking to say, is my point of origin wrong? Because I keep on getting the wrong answer. And so we have to identify what our point of origin is that speaks to our worth. See, knowing and believing this today will remove the lies of shame in our life, remove the sin the weaknesses, the shortcomings, the failures. Because did you know that Jesus died for you in spite of all those things? He died for you before you even did all those things. He knew that we were lost in our sin. He knew there was no way we could do it on our own. He knew we had many failures. But yet he said, I'm gonna die for them and I want this sacrifice I've made for them to be their point of origin. Our worth is not determined by what the world says. So what is your point of origin? Is it self-worth? Basically, the world screams this, have self-esteem and yourself, you tell yourself enough good things and you have worth. And if anybody has tried that, you'll know it does not work. Why? Because it's the wrong point of origin. It doesn't mean that we're not valuable. It just means that it's not from ourself. The world will say, have enough self-esteem to say, you know what, you're good, you don't have to change. You don't have to get rid of that sin that's gonna kill you and destroy your life. But then Jesus said, my worth is in the example that I made to come to this earth and save you from your sin because I know it's gonna destroy your life. And that's where your worth comes from, my sacrifice. It's not in me accepting every opinion and feeling you have. It's in accepting what I did for you that you find worth. The other thing is others worth. From a young child, we see young people looking to say, are you gonna tell me how pretty I am and how strong I am and how fast I am and how smart I am? And we're looking for people's approval and we see it in 30 year olds and 40 year olds and 50 year olds and you tell me, I've seen it in every scenario. But please give me affection and affirmation and acceptance and approval. And I guarantee you, there's no human on this earth that can accept you enough, approve of you enough, do enough for you to feel worthy. But God's worth makes all the difference. And if He's our point of origin, He tells us our value. What He did on our behalf speaks to our value. You know, I'm gonna read these scriptures and I wanna just kind of go through them quickly, but 
The reason why I'm reading all of these today is not because I don't believe that this, scripture, this sermon has enough scriptures already. It's because I read this horrible statistic saying that Americans, there's only 10% of us that read the Bible daily. And it made like a huge revelation to me of like, that's why we're singing the wrong anthem. We are singing this anthem of defeat because people will come to church. Typically people come to church once to twice a month. That's a regular attendee according to statistics. I don't advise that. I, I definitely believe that coming to church regularly is a part of the disciplines that God has provided for us. We say it's a discipline, but it's also a gift. And this is what I will say is, this is not in my notes, but Jesus looked at the crowd and he felt compassion on them because they were so hungry. And so he told the disciples who were full of doubt saying, there's no way we can feed all these people. And he told them to split up, up into groups. And he said to break the bread and, and, and break the fish and spread it out, like give it to everybody. But he broke them up into groups first because he knew that if was, there wasn't some type of system, some type of leadership, there would be people unfed. And so here, if we don't come every Sunday, and I know we travel, there is no shame or condemnation. I don't want you to take any of that. I travel, I don't come every Sunday. I am talking about a lackadaisical commitment to church where if I feel like it, I'll go. And if I don't feel like it, I won't. But here we have Jesus having compassion on the people because he wants them all fed. But I have to believe just being a pastor for a little while, I was thinking how many people refused to get in the groups? And how many people left hungry? Because I have to believe that there were some rogue people being like, you're not gonna tell me what to do. Not to mention the fact that I'm doing this like diet plan. It's not a diet, it's like a health plan. And I'm paying this guy to help me, you know? Not very much, he's really affordable. <laughs> I can give you his number later if you need some help. Uh, but one of the things that is crazy, cause he's not telling me anything new. I know what you're supposed to do to be healthy. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take rocket science to say eat better and move your body. <laughs> okay, so I get it. But here's the deal is he provides accountability for me. And for some reason I'm, I'm following it because I have to text him every day and tell him what I did. <laughs> and so the thing is, is when we come together in church, it's a gift and he puts us in groups and he puts us in accountability and the thing is, is if you're leaving and you're like, I feel unfed, I have to challenge you. It, did Jesus ask you to break up into groups and get fed? Because he has more than enough food for you. Did he ask you to consistently come? He has food for you. Did he ask you to read the Bible daily? He has food for you. He has so much compassion that He provides more than enough every day for us to thrive. And so here we have a, a culture that doesn't read the Bible anymore, including in church. And so today I wanna speak the Word of God and what He says about you. 
because we've talked about the fact that He's the King of Kings. We've talked about that we belong to a holy nation. But if you don't know what God says about you, you are absolutely gonna come to the wrong conclusion every single time. And so if we're gonna sing an anthem of victory, we have to know that He enjoys us. God likes His creation. He likes you. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. He prioritizes us. He's not the last thing. You aren't the last thing on His list. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He understands. Those moments in the secret place, in the quiet that you have said, no one understands. He understands. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. He's not distant. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. He hasn't forgotten you. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even moms may forget, yet I will never forget you. He's not angry at us. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You know, last year, there was this game called the Super Bowl. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about it and what I've learned. Okay, so last year we had Super Bowl 56, and it was the Bengals and the Rams. And, you know, they, ha- they have to get ready to win. They have to get ready for the championship. And I'm not talking about practice. I'm talking about the companies of the teams. And so here we have both the Bengals and the Rams have to spend the same amount of money and the same amount of effort making merchandise just in case they win. So they spend all this money, championships, Super Bowl 56, Bengals, super like championships, uh, Rams. And so nobody knows who's gonna win, but they have to make all this stuff ready to go. And so I've always wondered, what do they do with all that stuff? Like, like there's a whole bunch of stuff that can no longer be useful because it's a lie. And so here we have, they, they donate it to different countries, to Middle East, to Africa, to South America, to Asia. And I thought, I wonder if the little kid with the baseball cap that says champions mingles even knows the difference because it's the same quality of hat. They spent the same amount of money on it. And it actually looks really legit. Like if you didn't know, you'd be like, go Bengals. So it looks real, but yet it's a complete and total lie. And I can't help but to think of all the Christians that are walking around thinking they can run their life better than the King of Kings. And I'm speaking to Christians because Paul spoke to the Ephesians saying, hey, don't you know the truth in Christ? I can't help but to think all the Christians here are walking around still wondering who they are, still wondering what God thinks about them. And 
they're sporting that Bengals baseball cap. And it looks real, but it's a lie. Your old self has nothing to offer you. It's not who you are anymore. That old anthem, as catchy as it sounds, is no good to you anymore. The anthem of victory is so much better. You know why? Because the anthem of defeat destroyed your life and others. And the anthem of victory, you get to be victorious and share your victory with others. He gives us purpose. We come out of the dark into the light and we get to proclaim His excellencies to the world. So stop taking the bait. It's not your coworker. It's not your company. It's not your child. All those are concerning to the Lord, just like the people were taken care of by the Lord when King Uzziah died. But there is a vision that God wants to show you today that I pray changes everything for you. And I wanna go back to that vision because I want to say it correctly. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And because he is my king, I belong to his holy nation. I am who he says I am. And my point of origin is from his worth that he's given to me, nothing else. So therefore people look at me and say, what happened to you? How is your life winning? It's not that you're not facing obstacles. It's not because you have gotten everything figured out. It's because all of a sudden I stopped trusting myself and my own way of doing things. And I started saying, King of Kings, come into this area of my life that I have never invited you into. I'm not gonna make one more business decision without you. I'm not gonna make one more family decision without you. I'm not gonna make one more locational change without you. I'm going to ask you what you want me to do because you are my king. I am no longer the, in the leadership of my life, in the leadership of that area of my life. I have delegated authority, but that delegated authority is to seek Him and get His wisdom and get His direction. So today, my reflection question that I wanna just sit here and let the band play, I wanna ask ourselves, is your life singing an anthem of defeat or victory? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.